in a place where you can worship God. It is always good to be here. We're glad to see you, both members and visitors alike. Um, we thank you for being here, for your presence. Um, also, for those who are online, we, we thank you for joining us tonight. Let's go to God, please, in a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we think about the awesomeness of your name and how you created the universe. In the very beginning, in the heavens, how you made the orbit and gravity and all things hold together by the word of your power. And Lord God, it's been here from the day that you began it. And we're amazed at your power. And the fact that before you created anything, you'd already established everything. And that Jesus would die for our sins. And we worship you today, not only because of Jesus, but because of the greatness of the Godhead. As we worship you, we pray, Lord God, that you would accept our worship. That it will be pleasing and acceptable in your sight. And that Jesus, your great son, will be lifted up in our hearts and in our minds. These things we thank you for and pray. And that wonderful name of Jesus Christ would be thy will. Amen. We are going to continue. Mark chapter 1, please. Uh, with this subject, the seven baptisms in the Bible. And I think we have one more lesson after this one. Because today I want to look at, at John's baptism. Uh, and John's baptism in the Holy Spirit as well. But John's baptism uh, was for repentance and the remission of sins, right? So Mark chapter 1, beginning at verse 1, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. As it is written in Isaiah the prophet, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, make ready the way of the Lord. Make his path straight. John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. So John's baptism was preparatory for what was coming, the kingdom of God, right? It was preparatory. It was in water. It was in immersion. So when you want to study with someone on baptism, uh, you could start with John's baptism. John's baptism was in water. It was in immersion. It was preparatory for that which was to come. Verse 5. And all the country of Judea was going out to him, and all the people of Jerusalem, and they were being baptized by him in the Jordan River, confessing their sins. And John was clothed with camel's hair and wore a leather belt around his waist, and his diet was locust and wild honey. And he was preaching and saying, After me one is coming who is mightier than I, and I am not fit to stoop down and untie the thong of his sandals. I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. Luke chapter 7. So John's baptism was a temporary baptism. It was here for a certain time period, and then it was going to fade away. Now Luke 7 and verse 29 speaks to the Pharisees and how they have rejected John's baptism and the very purpose of God. Verse 29. And when all the people, 
and the tax gatherers heard this, they acknowledged God's justice and having been baptized with the baptism of John, but the Pharisees and the lawyers rejected God's purpose for themselves, not having been baptized by John. So John's baptism was very critical. It was very important. It was part of God's purpose. And so when the argument comes up that baptism is not essential and it really meant nothing, well, it was part of God's purpose in the days of John and in John's baptism. Luke 23. Have you ever considered the power of this baptism? Now, the thief on the cross, we have, we, you know, just like people say, well, he was never baptized. And of course, just as they cannot prove that, we cannot prove that he was baptized. But let me give you just an indicator that maybe he was. Listen, if you will, in verse 20, uh, chapter 23 and verse 40. But the other answered in rebuking him said, Do you not even fear God since you are under the same sentence of condemnation? And we be justly, for we are receiving what we deserve for our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. And he was saying, Jesus, remember me when you come in your kingdom. And he said to him, truly, I say to you, today you shall be with me in paradise. That was that was John's preaching that Jesus' kingdom would come. It had not yet come. And a thief on the cross knew it was not here yet, but it was coming. And so uh, whether he was baptized by John's baptism or not, he definitely understood the message of God, that the kingdom of God was coming through Jesus Christ our Lord. Matthew chapter 3. So now the next question that comes up is, okay, so then you have these folks who are baptized under John's baptism, and then the kingdom of God came on the Pentecost, did they have to get baptized again? Right? That question has come up several times in, in our studies uh, with folks. So all of those who were baptized under John's baptism would have been transferred into the kingdom of God um, on that day by the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost. Disciples of John did not have to get rebaptized on the day of Pentecost. Listen to Matthew chapter 3, beginning at verse 1. Now in those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea, saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. For this is the one referred to by Isaiah the prophet, saying, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Make ready the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. So here's the implication. The implication in this text is, that their baptism was for repentance, and that repentant baptism, that repentant heart, granted them entrance into that kingdom that would arrive. Okay? Now let's, let's join that with Luke chapter 3. It would automatically enter them into the kingdom that would arrive. Again, John was a way preparer. What was the purpose of getting baptized under John's baptism if you had to do it again? Luke chapter 3, beginning at verse 2. In the high priesthood of Annas and Caiaphas, the word of God came to John, the son of Zacharias, in the wilderness. And he came into all the the district around the Jordan, preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. As it is written in the book of the words of Isaiah the prophet, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, make ready the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. Every ravine shall be filled up and every mountain and hill shall be brought low. And the crooked shall be, become straight, 
and the rough road smooth, and all flesh shall see the salvation of God. So here's a question. If John's baptism was for repentance and the remission of sins, and it brought salvation based on the Holy Spirit's prophecy, do they need salvation again? A second time? You see, God has already placed everything in the proper order. So then you might say, well, what about those disciples that you find in Acts chapter 19? Well, let's go take a look at Acts chapter 19. Acts chapter 19, beginning, we'll begin um, in that text at about verse 1. Let me just say this. You only get baptized once, and then after that you just get wet. You know, because because once God authorized your salvation, you can do it again and again and again. Those are meaningless. It's it's the one baptism uh, that the Bible teaches, and you obey it properly. After that, you only get wet. Verse verse one, and it came about that while Paulus was at Corinth, Paul, having Paul, uh, passed through the upper country, came to Ephesus and found some disciples, and he said to them, "Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed?" And they said to him, no, we have not even heard whether there is a Holy Spirit. And he said, into what then will you baptize? And they said, into John's baptism. And Paul said, John baptized with the baptism of repentance, telling the people to believe in him who was coming after him, that is, in Jesus. And when they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. So, so let's, let's think about this. They were baptized, but they hadn't heard of the Holy Spirit. Part of New Testament Christianity is all about the Holy Spirit. When you're baptized into Christ, you receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. They had not even heard of the Holy Spirit. And so we know then, okay, wait a minute. So their baptism was for repentance and for the remission of sins. They were baptized in the John's baptism. Now the question is, what time are we speaking? Because if they were baptized before Jesus Christ died and established the church, well, then their baptism is valid. But they're baptized after, after Jesus died and established the church. Then their baptism is invalid. It goes to show you that teaching is very critical and important when it comes to baptizing someone into Christ. So these folks here are many, 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 many years after Jesus Christ had already died, was buried, and raised from the dead. Now, Acts 18, I believe that Apollos, without a shadow of a doubt, was in connection with, with teaching these young folks, the gospel. In Acts chapter 18 and verse 24, here's what Paulus knew. Now a certain Jew named Apollos, an Alexandrian by birth, an eloquent man, came to Ephesus, and he was mighty in the scriptures. This man had been instructed uh, in the way of the Lord, and being fervent in spirit, he was, bapti- he, was, he was speaking and teaching accurately the things concerning Jesus, being acquainted only with the baptism of John. And he began to speak out boldly in the synagogue, but when Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they took him aside and explained to him the way of God more accurately. They said, well, well, you know, Paulus, everything you're saying is right. But John's baptism is no longer valid, for John himself said, Jesus must increase, John must decrease. Jesus Christ has already come. The kingdom has already come. John's baptism was in view of what was to come. It is no longer a valid baptism. So, these folks in Acts 18, or 19 rather, 
They got wet the first time. The second time, they were baptized in the Christ Jesus, our Lord. Aquila and Priscilla pulled them aside to explain to them the Word of God more accurately. Now, we're very familiar with Matthew uh, chapter 28, verses uh, 18 through verse 20, because Jesus now, after his death, his burial, and his resurrection, he says to the people as he speaks to them that all, Jesus came and he spoke to them and said, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to deserve all that I commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Scriptural baptism cannot happen without accurate and proper teaching. That's important. You know, because now, nowadays, I don't know, the church uh, kind of flounders on that. You know, well, these folks over here said they were baptized. and We need to talk to them. Let's figure out what they were taught. Were they taught properly? And this isn't about a competition. It's about saving their souls. Because what if those folks never, what if the apostle never challenged that baptism? When they said, oh, yeah, we're, bap- we're John's bap- bap- a disciple. We were baptized in the name of John. And Paul just said, oh, praise God for you. You're good. But no, Paul said, well, well, wait a minute, let's talk about this. Because, you know, John's been dead a long time. And Jesus has risen from the dead, but uh, from the grave. But, but this, has been a, this is long. This is many years later. What were y'all baptized into? You see, he challenged their baptism in a way that brought up uh, the proper information to help Paul to know that these folks had not been baptized properly. Therefore, they were not saved. And that's important. And it's almost like sometimes um, we're afraid to say that to people, right? If it's not right, it's not right. So here's, here's my philosophy. It doesn't really matter a lot, maybe, but hate me now, love me later. See, I'm going to say it to you now, and you may hate me for it, but if it saves your soul because of the gospel, you're going to love me, love me, love me, right? So you got to say it because it's the right thing to say. It's the right thing to do. And if we say we love people, then we have to say it out of love right? Love is that also. Love is sometimes a little shrewd. But you got to ask people very gently, very kindly, uh, and you, you do that through your Bible study. You begin uh, by, and I really believe this is important, you let them tell you their story first, right? Don't start teaching them first. Let them tell you their story first and write it all down and then read it back to them. And that way they can't change midstream. Because everyone wants, it's not that they're lying, it's just that everybody wants to be saved. Right? And if you get it out of order, it's not right. And if you don't have certain components of it, it's not right. So we want to do it right for the sake of saving souls, not for the sake of being right. What about um, baptism of the Holy Spirit? Acts chapter 2, please. The pouring out of the Holy Spirit... On all flesh, this is a prophecy uh, prophesied by Joel in Joel chapter 2 some, some time ago. And, and Peter begins his sermon with Joel's uh, prophecy, beginning, if you will, for us, verse 14. But Peter, taking his stand with the eleven, raised his voice and declared to them, Men of Judea and all you who live in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give heed to my words. For these men are not drunk, as you suppose. For it is only the third hour of the day. But this is what was spoken of through the prophet Joel. And it shall be in the last days, God says, 
that I will pour forth my Spirit upon all mankind, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. And the prophecy goes on and on. And the message was and is that God will pour out His Spirit upon humanity. But it was very select. God is very select in whom He would pour His Spirit out upon. Even God tells us, don't cast the pearl before the swine. Don't give people more than they're able to bear. Don't put more on them than they're able to bear. God does not pour His Holy Spirit upon people that are not ready to receive the Holy Spirit to do His bidding. Acts 1 verse 5. For John baptized with water, but you should be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. And so, when he had come together, when they had come together, they were asking him, saying, Lord, is it at this time that you are restoring the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, it is not for you to know the times or the epochs which God has fixed by his own authority. But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you shall be with be my witnesses both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and even to the remotest parts of the earth. Now that passage refers to the apostles, not the 120 in the upper room. Okay, so that that promise was was to the apostles only. In fact, go back to Luke, uh, Luke chapter 24, Luke chapter 24. Let's begin reading the promise, the prophecy, and the promise of God. Let's begin reading at verse 45. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. And he said to them, Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and rise again from the dead the third day, and that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. And behold, I am sending forth the promise of the Father upon you, but you are to stay in the city until you are clothed with high or clothed with power from on high. So God is speaking to the apostles. Okay? Not everybody in the upper room would receive the miraculous measure of the Holy Spirit. Only the apostles received the miraculous measure of the Holy Spirit. In fact, when you read Acts 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, and seven, there's no one else that has a miraculous ability to perform any magic, uh, any work of God, any magnificent power of God, except for the apostles and the apostles alone, because the promise was to them and to them alone. This was a promise from the Father. And so the Holy Spirit baptism is, is like the, the miraculous uh, symbol of God, if you will, or the miraculous symbol of God that says, these people belong to me. And this is, maybe we'll get into a lesson on, on miracles and what the purpose of miracles, what was it for? It's important that when you see certain individuals uh, in the scriptures, you notice that they had power from God for a particular reason, not for themselves. Right? God never gave that power to the arrogant and the proud. Right? Those who struggle with, the, with arrogance and pride, they never look at Simon, the sorcerer. Never ever would God have done that. It would have hindered and handicapped the work of God. So God was very selective 
and who received that miraculous power that fell from the heavens on high. Now, so then how is Joel, his prophecy in chapter 2, how is that fulfilled if it's just the apostles? Well, turn over to Acts chapter 10. Acts 10 and verse 44. It's a symbol of God. It says, these folks have God's approval. Now, had it not been for Acts 10, 44 and following, the, 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 the whole idea of the Gentiles being grafted in was the work of God. Had Acts 10, 44 not been given, the Jews would have had a really hard time accepting the Gentiles into the faith. Verse 44. While Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit fell upon all those who were listening to the message. And all the circumcised believers who had come with Peter were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out upon the Gentiles also. For they were hearing them speaking with tongues and exalting God. Then Peter answered, Surely no one can refuse the water for these to be baptized who received the Holy Spirit just as we did, can he? And he ordered them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Then they asked him to stay on for a few days. Look at chapter 11 and verse 15. And as I began to speak, the Holy Spirit fell upon them just as he did upon us at the beginning. This is Peter giving his explanation to the Jews. And I remembered the word of the Lord, how he had used to say, John baptized with water, but you should be baptized with the Holy Spirit. It goes on to say, in verse 17, If God therefore gave to them the same gift as he gave to us also after believing in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I that I could stand in God's way? So, the Gentiles grafted in. John's baptism was valid for a time period. Repentance for the forgiveness of sins. Holy Spirit baptism is not for the forgiveness of sins, but rather it is an indicator. It is God's sign or God's power placed upon a person that says, this person belongs to me. And so Jew and Gentile become one in Christ Jesus because of the power and the grace of our God. Notice the Holy Spirit baptism is not something to be obeyed. I mean, they had to go to Jerusalem, but that was a work of God. There's only one baptism that must be obeyed. Okay. The Bible, we read this last week in Ephesians 4, verse 4 through 6, there's one baptism. One baptism, right? And, and so this is really important. Since we know there's only one baptism, the one to be obeyed, what baptism is that? It's in Acts chapter 2. And I want to go to Acts chapter 2. And I want you to think for just a moment. You know, we, we, there's this huge debate over baptism constantly. And when you're talking to someone, please just share with them, Something, something to this effect. If you take away every book of the Bible in the New Testament, except for the book of Acts, because Acts is an active book, right? It's the Acts of the Apostles. So it spreads. It isn't, isn't, it's not confined to Acts and then Romans. And it, it doesn't go that way. The book of Acts is spread out. It's a historical account of the early church. So, the early church did not begin until Acts chapter 2. So Acts chapter 2, the church begins, the Holy Spirit falls upon the apostles, the day of Pentecost. They speak in, in tongues and everyone's mesmerized and amazed. 
And then they asked the question, men and brethren, what should we do? Now, there is no other book in the Bible that you can go to to find this answer. Because they aren't written yet. (laughs) You, You get it? When someone argues baptism, well, you know, it says in Ephesians, but you can't go to Ephesians. The Ephesian church hasn't been established yet. The church at Ephesus is not there. Oh, well, you know, the, the Bible, the Bible does Romans. Well, no, there is no church in Rome yet, sir. The, the, no, no, sir. We, we need to get back down to Jerusalem. Well, but, but you know, I read somewhere over it. No, that church has not been established yet, sir. We need to go back to Jerusalem. Now, here we are standing in Jerusalem and we hear this message taught by Peter. And at the end of the message, we say, because our hearts are pricked, what should we do? Brethren, you don't have the answer. I don't have the answer. The audience didn't have the answer. The only one that had the answer was the man with the keys, Peter. So why are you arguing with Peter? What was the argument? There is no argument. There is no argument. There is no philosophical idea. There is no belief with all your heart. There is no outward sign of an inward grace. None of that exists. In fact, none of that existed anyway until preachers came up with the ideas. But the Bible says, in verse 38, Peter said to them, Repent and let each of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Verse 40, and with many other words, he solemnly testified and kept exhorting them, saying, be saved from this perverse generation. Here's a question. If they're already saved, why did he say be saved? I mean, they already believed, they already repented, right? I mean, the confession of Jesus, Lord and Christ, that's already, there's nothing left to do but to be immersed in water, right? But they're not saved yet. Because they haven't been immersed in water. And so in verse 41, So then those who had received His word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. And so the question is, when you think about, about the one baptism to be obeyed, the question is, have you obeyed that baptism? Or have you rejected the very purpose of God? As the lawyers and the Pharisees did with John's baptism. The opportunity is yours. Today the door is open. God has granted salvation to all of humanity. Today, if you have not surrendered to God in the waters of baptism, now is the acceptable time. Today is the acceptable day. Today is the day, right? Not tomorrow, for tomorrow is not promised to any of us. If you're struggling in your faith, if we can help in any way, if there's anything possible that we can do for you, please make that known. We're going to stand in a moment and sing a song of invitation. And if you have a need and we can help, we ask that you... Make that known. And if not, um, please, if you are, are visiting or don't know where to find us, our information is on the board. Please contact us and allow us to help you uh, by God's gift and through God's gift. God bless each and every one of you.